Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. So it's warm and sunny in Florida, even if it isn't up north. And here's another spring training edition of 30 with Murdy to help warm you up and get ready for the season. In this episode, we focus on three of the new Yankees and get to know them with the help of Dan O'Dowd, the MLB Network analyst who can frequently be seen on MLB Now, MLB Tonight, and many other shows on the network. O'Dowd was the GM of the Colorado Rockies for 15 years, so he was the perfect person to ask about Troy Tulowitzki, DJ LeMahieu and Adam Adovino. All three of them came through Colorado under O'Dowd's watch. His greatest familiarity is with Tulowitzki, signed to be the Yankees shortstop to open the season while Didi Gregorius is on the mend. Tulowitzki was O'Dowd's first-round pick in 2005 and had the best year of his career in Colorado. There was actually a point where you might have considered Tulo the best shortstop in the game, and O'Dowd saw all that up close. What is he capable at this stage? Well, that's the big question that Dan helps us try to answer. DJ LeMahieu was signed by the Yankees to be a super utility player with a near everyday presence in the lineup. O'Dowd traded for LeMahieu out of the Cubs organization and watched him blossom into a gold glove winner and an all-star, and later a batting champion. LeMahieu holds a special place for O'Dowd because he seemed to be the only one in his department that was in favor of the trade that sent Ian Stewart to the Cubs for LeMahieu. Part of what sold O'Dowd was a conversation with former Cubs GM and current Yankee executive Jim Hendry. You'll hear details of that in just a moment. Adam Adovino was one of the Yankees' biggest free agent pickups because he adds to the bullpen strength of the team. Adovino was acquired under O'Dowd's watch in Colorado as a waiver claim. O'Dowd isn't alone in liking the reliever Adovino has turned into. I also asked O'Dowd a little about the Coors Field effect, which he thinks should make you appreciate players' offensive numbers more, not less. It's a debate when it comes to evaluating players like LeMayu or, as we discuss, Hall of Fame candidates like Larry Walker and Todd Helton. A very interesting take from O'Dowd on this, and you'll want to hear it. But we began our conversation with Dan's thoughts on Troy Tulowitzki. And my first question to Dan was what he remembered about Tulowitzki when he was at his best in the early part of this decade. You know, I put these players in categories, and he was an aircraft carrier. That 2009 season, when we went on a 2010 season, when we went on a run, we almost caught, in fact, we did catch the Dodgers. Um, He basically carried us. I mean, it was... For a two-month straight window, he was by far the best player in the game. Um, I remember competitive passion, desire, incredible work habits, attention to detail. You know, highly, highly competitive young man. I mean, just everything about him spoke of his desire to not only just be the best player, but his strong desire to win. How did those competitive traits help him in a situation like now when he's been out for over a year and is trying to 
I mean, he's been given a job, but he's still trying to win it in a sense. How does that competitive desire help him now? Yeah, I think he's at a completely different place in life um, than when I had him. You know, he's married to a tremendous woman in Danielle. They have, um, Kaz is a beautiful young boy. He's been through so much adversity and uh, very, very little expectations at this stage of his career. So why it's good, Sweeney, is that his competitive fire has not waned at all from the game. Uh, he now has a, even more of a strong desire to you know, be the best player he can, but I don't think necessarily he's burdened now with undue expectations because you know, a lot of people don't expect that you know, he's going to be able to pull this off because of his injuries, and I think that puts Troy in a very, very uh, good place in his career. I know you can't kind of peek into his body and see how he feels, but let's just say he's he's healthy enough to take the field and you've got two months or more, two to three months, let's say, where he's got to kind of man that spot. What do you think Yankee fans should expect? Well, I think the ballpark is built for him when Troy is at his best. Um, he's a right center field hitter, reacts on the balls, middle end but he really stays inside the ball and drives it well into right center. So I think the ballpark itself is made for him. I mean, where he'll hit in the lineup is probably down. So I think you can get a very productive offensive player. I think it's going to take him some time. He's a rhythm hitter. So it's going to take him some time, I think, in just getting the rust off and finding his rhythm again. He's always was a little bit of a slow starter in his career. Uh, if healthy, you're going to get an outstanding defender. Great awareness of how to play the position, can throw from very unique angles, understands positioning exceptionally well, has a you know a cannon for his arm in the sixth hole, but comes in very very well on the ball. I mean he's just a really really good defender. So if healthy, he's gonna he's gonna make all the plays and then some. And then what's the trick with those feet and just kind of coming back onto his feet? I mean again, it's hard to get inside his body to see how he feels, but is there something yeah, you'll I mean, be looking for? Monitor his workload. Um, I'm sure Troy is trained as hard as he possibly can, but you can do anything you want. It's different than when you put spikes on and the union on and start getting out there. So I, I would be, you know, not cautious, but I would monitor his workload early in camp and let him kind of ease back into things. And then, you know, as you build momentum as camp goes on, start of the season, I'd be concerned about, you know, day games, late day games, early day games after late night games, you know, things of that nature again early on they've got the kind of depth to be able to do that certainly with dj there too so um i would just be conscious of it but uh, i think troy's in a good place and uh, you know I, I can't predict health no one can even he can't do that but you know if he's healthy you know it'd be a very and uh, you know dd's a great player but when troy's healthy troy is a very very impactful player there were certainly options for the Yankees as they tried to fill that short-term spot at shortstop. Uh, why do you think this is uh, this is a good option for them? Well, I mean, again, it's a very low risk from a monetary standpoint with gigantic upside. So very rarely do you get an opportunity to get this kind of upside with this mitigating risk and knowing that you've protected yourself in some way if you should get hurt again because you got Glaber that can play short and you've got, if that's what they're going to do, and you got a gold glove second baseman and DJ, and I think DJ can play short too if they choose to go that way. So I think you're pretty well fortified if you decide to go, if for some reason he ends up, um, you know, not being injured again. 
Yeah, that's a good transition into DJ LeMahieu, a player you acquired in a trade at a very young age. What do you like about him in this situation here with the Yankees when he's going to be asked to play a number of different positions? Yeah, I mean, I like DJ in any situation. Ideally for me, and I said this when he signed, I, I wish he could have gone to where there was an everyday second baseman's job because, I mean, he really is a really good second baseman. And uh, But another guy that's built for that ballpark, I mean, as you know, he's like a right-hand hitter who hits, hits left-handed. He really drives the ball exceptionally well into uh, right field. He's uh, exceptional. He can make hard contact. He barrels ball balls up. Not many free agent players for me that were available this winter or ever. I think there's still more there. If DJ just just catches it and clicks it a little bit more out in front, uh, I believe there's 25 home runs in there on a consistent basis. So, I mean, offensively he's a good player. Defensively he's an outstanding second baseman. I think he can adjust well to he played uh, short for us the one year he didn't make our club, which he should have made our club, went down to Colorado Springs and played short. And uh, all the routine plays, DJ made exceptionally well. Extended range, you know, maybe at times, you know, beyond the two steps, uh, especially into the six hole, maybe that wasn't there. But, I mean, he made every routine play he needs to make because he's got exceptional hands because he's got good feet. So when you got good feet and you got good hands, you're going to be a good infielder, and he's a very sound fundamental infielder. So he's got really good arm strength. He's the type of guy that little things that he could do where he could cheat a little bit more to the four-hole on a double play depth because he could get to the bag a little bit later because his arm strength was so exceptional. You could roam a little bit out on a cutoff and relay play because his arm strength was so exceptional. And another guy that brings his lunch pail to the ballpark every single day, I mean, he really, really competes every single day. He's a very durable player. I think the hardest thing for DJ is going to be not playing every day because he's wired to play every single day. So I think that part of it's going to be an adjustment for him. I think Aaron Boone has talked about getting him a role you know, that is almost every day. He's talking about him being part of 10 guys for nine spots, and you kind of move him in and out, which will include time at second for sure. But what do you think, based on the attributes you talked about defensively, do you think he can profile to third or first just on a defensive side? Can, you, can he play those pretty well too? I've never seen him at first, but again, I, mean, I have absolutely no issues with him at third. I think he'll be fine at third base. I'll give him some reps. I think he'll be exceptional at third base because he really just, he's got a really good hands. He's got a very accurate arm, and he plays the game with a slow heartbeat. DJ never, the moments were never too big for me with DJ. Um, you know, he just had a great rhythm of the game, and when the moments got tighter, DJ always played well. So he's just a good player, man. He's a really good He's a really good baseball player. And he's one of these guys for me that um, you can't measure some of his intangibles via analytics. You have to see it day in and day out. And he rubs off on other players, even really good players, because he's so steady in his approach to play the game. Where Tulo, you know, is a very steady player, but he can be more volatile. I mean, emotionally up and down, and knowing Arenado was that way, and I mean, this guy just shows up, and I mean, every day he's the same guy. Every single day he shows up, he's the same guy. Is that something that benefits a player in New York where, you know, the expectations are different and the the, uh, microscope is on you? I mean, I I think the only issue for DJ playing now in the role that he's in is just everyday reps. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, if he went 0-4, he still knew he was playing the next day. 
And so, you know, the only issue for me is going to be his adjustment to a role where there may be times when he doesn't get everyday reps. Now, maybe that'll help him feel physically. I'm sure he went out multiple times and didn't play, you know, physically at his best because, you know, nicked up and it might help him, but it might hurt him. I don't know that part of the game. I don't know. His swing should be fine because he's, you know, he's a high contact guy who barrels a lot of balls up. Um, But again, that is the only adjustment he's going to have to make. Dan, I had heard a story. When you talk about his his uh, composure, his work ethic, uh, everything like that, I had heard that there is a uh, a grade on the Rockies scouting scale that basically is named for DJ LeMahieu. Um, do you recall? That came after I left. Okay. Um, yeah, we had some unbelievable internal debates on DJ. You know how the whole trade came down is a really interesting story. It's the only trade that I made in my career where, honestly, I was on an island completely by myself. Hmm. That no one wanted me to make that trade within our room. Uh, Analytical group didn't want me to make the trade. The the, uh, scouting community did not want to make that trade. My assistant, Guyvo, didn't want to make that trade. I mean, I really was completely on an island, and I was determined to make that trade. And so just how we even acquired him. And so that debate on how we acquired him bled itself into his early tenure with the Rockies, where I kept hearing conversations of, you know, well, we can do better at second base. And I kept going, well, why would we want to do better at second base? <laughs> we really <laughs> we really got a good player at second base. But I think that's what he's had to overcome a little bit in the industry, that I don't think anybody ever really recognized how good a player this is, maybe because he doesn't do things that – in a way that create like, oh, wow. But if you really watch the game and how he plays it day in and day out, he does a lot of oh, wow things. He just doesn't look like he's doing it. And so I have no doubt that they probably have a grade on their scouting report right now that's reflective of, you know, DJ's competitiveness and steadiness and composure when the game, you know, is the highest point of stress. DJ is absolutely at at the calmest point of performance. Did you ever question yourself with all those voices in your own room? Not. No? No, I knew that Ian Stewart, I just, I just instinctively knew that it was time for him to get a change of scenery for his own for his own career. I loved the kid. I just knew it was going to work in Colorado. And I'd had a conversation with Jim Hendry, um, who I respect, who's now with the Yankees. Yeah. So I don't think there's any coincidences that DJ was signed by the Yankees. And... I told, you know, Jimmy was not no longer working at that time, that time for the Cubs. He had been let go as a GM. And I just, you know, I trust Jimmy's judgment. I dealt with Jimmy over the years as a GM, and I, he was always so transparently honest with me. And I thought his evaluation of players was second to none within the game. I still feel that way about him. And I just, he just always said to me, Danny, this kid's sum is greater than the individual parts. And when you get him, you're going to love him. And you're going to love him for the rest of your career. And he was 100% accurate. The swing you described with both of these guys being fit for Yankee Stadium, even as right-handed hitters, do you think they helped the Yankees overcome becoming they're, – they're very right-handed right now without a lot of lefty power. Traditionally, they're built around lefties. They don't have a lot of that. Do these two guys help them in some regard based on the way you described them? I think so because they're anomaly. They're right-hand hitters. They really, really when – they're, when they're good and they're right, they use – Right field is their strength. So, I mean, I think Tulo has just naturally more leverage in his swing and more gifted power. Um, but with that will come some swing and misses. D 
TJ is just going to barrel up a lot more balls. And if again, if they can unlock that little bit that's still in there with him, I think they really do have a exceptionally good offensive player. And you know, and and I, I guarantee you, DJ in his mind's coming into camp and he's going to do anything he can to help the team win. I mean, that's what the way the kids wire. But I also think he's coming into camp saying, "Hey, I'm going to figure my way into this lineup." <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got a lot of good players here, but I want to figure my way into this lineup on a daily basis. I mean, his his clock is wired that way. One of the guys that the Yankees seem very excited about is Adam Ottavino. He's a guy that, yeah, he's a guy you picked off the waiver wire, and then he finally uh, developed yeah. into something for the Rockies yeah, after that. Our director of pro scouting and Terry Wetzel, who was our pro scout at the time, that's really all on them. All I did was say, yeah, let's. After they presented their case, I said, yeah, let's do it. Um, but that that certainly was all on them and not me. And uh, what a great waiver claim! I think the transition that happened with him going from a starter to a bullpen guy really just it, his career took off at that point in time. I mean, seriously. I mean, how many other pitchers in the game throw pitches that look like wiffle balls in the mid-90s? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the only concern I got with Adam is that he tries to do too much at some times, and you know, with him and Patanzas um, in the bullpen, you know, at times they. You know they can scatter some balls mm-hmm. a little bit, but now they got a, they got a chance to use Adam as an early game weapon, late game weapon. He can be deployed anywhere within that bullpen. And truly, I mean, when this guy is on, he's basically unhittable. A lot like Patanzas, when he's on, he's unhittable too. Um, they just, you know, the only concern I would have is having two guys in the bullpen like that. But you know, they've got so many other guys that are strike throwers that I'm sure they can mitigate that and have that, you know, have a, your usage pattern with both guys. Adovino's being held as a like, as a true right on right weapon, which you know we don't see a whole lot of. You'd think of a lot of left on left guys, but his right right split seemed to be what impressed the Yankees the most. Oh my god! I mean, I mean that's like I mean he's got a great fastball, and at times I felt like you know he needed to trust it more. But literally, I mean you you cannot hit a slider, and he commands a slider better than he does his fastball. So yeah. if they're going to deploy him in that way, his numbers are going to be stupid good. He's uh he seems to be a little bit excited too about uh being away from the core's environment, what it does to his other pitches, what it does to his fastball, what it oh does my to God, his cutter. You've got to be too different. People don't realize how difficult it is because your ball moves completely different in uh, at fifty two eighty than it does anywhere else in the league. So think about recalibrating your pitches between home and road mm-hmm. the entire year. Then think about the physical wear and tear of pitching at 5280. And he does not have to deal with that anymore other than if they have an interleague game where they're playing there. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have a much fresher arm than he's ever had in his career. And he's not going to have to recalibrate you know, his pitches. He's going to be able to lock in one way to do what he wants to do and not have to change all year long. So I think that's only going to benefit him, you know, as he moves forward in his career. It, it, you know, that kind of leads into one other thing I want to ask you about, Dan. Uh, there's the Hall of Fame debate, you know, has Larry Walker gaining some steam, but not quite there. Todd Helton got some support, but what seems to be held against both of these guys is this Coors Field bias and what it does to their numbers. I call it the Coors Field ignorance. Yeah. With due respect. Sure. Uh, Sure. You know what? Know what it is? People don't realize they do have home road splits, but it's because it's the hardest place to perform on the road in the history of the game. So hitting is a muscle memory sport. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys calibrate their swing down to the millimeters. 
So think about your entire, for most of your career, in Walker's case and Helton's case, it's been his entire career. Think about playing a 10-game homestand, thinking about taking, you know, 15 swings a game times 10 games, and now you go on a road and the ball moves completely different than the 150 swings that you just took over the last 10 games. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. No other player in the history of the game ever had to do that, ever. And so the fact that their numbers are as good as they are on the road, having to overcome those type of challenges, to me that makes them that much more better, but no one can seem to wrap intellectually their arms around that argument. You know, I've, I've kind of taken the position now that it's time to stop acting as if it's some other place when you consider that they are, for, they've been a Major League Baseball team for 25 years, playing real Major League games, real Major League players, you know, we should not take that different a look at their numbers. Yeah, examine them a little bit differently, but, I mean, given the factors you're talking about here, it's, you know, I, I feel like we try to think about it as some sort of different league, and we really shouldn't. Well, that, and there's enough data out that shows you how difficult it is, course field. I mean, look at all of the great hitters through 25 years, and look at their home road splits. Look at how many guys even hit the average uh, the league average on the road in their careers at Coors Field, and then look at what two elite players like this have done. Take any great player in the game, any great player, and put them into that environment, and they're going to have home road splits, maybe not even as good as what Todd or Larry have had in their career. And I just think people just struggle with that argument. Now you factor in the physical wear and tear of playing in that ballpark. I think they should be given extra credit for playing there. Not to, It shouldn't be subtracted. Uh, from their accomplishments of their career. So last thing I want to ask you, Dan, is you the three guys we talked about, Troy Tulowitzki, DJ LeMahieu, Adam Adovino, all could be playing very major roles for the Yankees this season. What do you think uh, about the way the Yankees have improved themselves and what they're looking at in the AL East based off of not just those three guys but everything else they have together? I mean, they, what's, a, what's unbelievably great for the Yankees and their fans is that when you can go into an offseason and the core of your club is pretty much already in place and then you can add the level of depth and the talent that they did and still be in a position with financial flexibility to add more when you need to or if you need to I mean that's an incredible accomplishment from a front office standpoint you know a large market club is not a large market club unless it has payroll flexibility. If it has no payroll flexibility, it's no different than a small market club. And so to be able to add all the talent that they did, but to disperse it in the way that they did, build a roster, honestly, that's really good, like one through 35, and maybe even deeper. I don't really know, you know, the, the end, end, ends of their roster. I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment in today's game, and yet they still have the wherewithal to go ahead and add more as they get closer to the trading deadline and they can get more flexible in years to come. I mean, that is quite an accomplishment, and I, I love, I mean, I truly love what they've done. And uh, for me, I mean, you have three great teams in the American League, and they are certainly one of those three great teams. So while there might be considerable disappointment from some segments of the fan base that the Yankees didn't add Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, O'Dowd is one of many people in and around the game who believe the Yankees made some big improvements. And same as last year, they're right in the mix with the best teams in the league. That's all you can really ask for in February or March. There is no other level of guarantee. As long as you have a chance to be one of the best, 
You take the field in April, believing you have a chance to be there in October. The fun of the season is seeing where it goes without any guarantees. I'm also glad to hear O'Dowd's analysis of the Coors Field effect. He lived it. He saw it with his players every day. I had a chat with Adam Adovino about it here, and he too believes there's a certain physical conditioning needed to get through a season there that not everyone understands. The difference week-to-week, homestand-to-road trip that O'Dowd mentioned, Adovino echoed the same thing. And as a pitcher who relies on the break of sliders, cutters, and two-seam fastballs, it was a challenge to constantly move from one environment to the other and back again. Now there will be consistency in the environment that should help Adovino be both dominant and consistent. As for the hitters, that right-center field approach has obvious benefits to Aaron Judge, Luke Voigt, and others on this team. That is the counter-effect of being very right-handed heavy. We'll see if a healthy Tulowitzki can take advantage of that, and as O'Dowd pointed out, if LeMahieu can adjust the different role he takes on now. My thanks to Dan O'Dowd. Again, you can see him on all the fine programming on MLB Network. Continue to check out past episodes of 30 with Murdy on the archive on the Radio.com app iTunes, or wherever you listen. And you can find more info, entertainment analysis from me on WFAN.com by following me on Twitter at YankeesWFAN and on Instagram at Sweeney underscore Murdy. Until next time, thank you all for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.